Hello and welcome back to a Functional Approach with Dr. Jim Chaltis. I am Dr. Jim Chaltis and today I want to talk a bit about something that I find particularly fascinating. Um, call me nerdy, if you will, but uh, I think that this is an area of medicine which is emerging. Um, not many people, or in that case, not many doctors or practitioners, um, especially outside the functional medical world, um, even know about this concept, um, but it is an important one nevertheless, and I think it's going to become more and more important over time. So, um, simply put, today I'm going to talk about and describe the concepts around cross-reactivity. Right? I think I've mentioned it in passing here and there so far in my few episodes, but cross-reaction, cross-reactivity of foods, perhaps, um, of infections, um, very important in things like autoimmunity, right? So what is it? What is cross-reactivity, Dr. Jim? Uh, simply put, it's just like what it sounds. It is a, a mix-up, a mistaken identity, if you will, of a certain sequence of amino acids which make up a protein. So I will use a very um, common example of gluten. Right? We've spoken a bit about gluten already. Um, gluten happens to be a highly reactive food protein for a great many people, uh, above and beyond those people who have a known celiac disease condition, for example. There's a lot of really low-grade smoldering gluten reactions going on out there. So. Um, long story short, there is an amino acid sequence, amino acids being the building blocks of proteins. Think of them as pearls on a string, right? And depending on, you know, which pearl looks like what, you know, in what order, that, that string of amino acids now can fold into a shape, a three-dimensional structure, which makes up the, the structure and function of the protein. So uh, the amino acid sequence is everything for how we function. Uh, now, all it takes is a few amino acids in a row that kind of have a similar pattern for an immune cell to accidentally mistake it for something else. That's the simplest way to kind of define a cross-reaction. I think if we were to take a step back for a moment and, you know, appreciate the notion of like a, a food sensitivity reaction, oh dear, I'm, I'm sensitive to dairy or I'm sensitive to gluten or something of that nature. It's, it's the simplest way of communicating the concept and just call it a food. Yep, I have a, I have a sensitivity to, you know, green beans. Well, the reality is, is no, you don't. You don't have a sensitivity to green beans or to dairy or to wheat or gluten specifically, right? You have a sensitivity to a specific section, a, a specific string of, you know, beads on a, on a string, right, of those amino acid sequences. That's what the sensitivity is to. It, it, it only requires, you know, something on the order of five or six or more amino acids in a row to start to create these, you know, these immune reactions. If, if you have a, a chopped up little piece of protein that has now become an amino acid sequence of like only two amino acids or three or something like that, which is ideal. That happened in the digestive process. And by the time it gets in through your, your gut barrier, 
in your intestines and it's in your bloodstream, it, it, very, very small fragments have gotten through. Those are too small now for an immune cell to recognize it as a threat, as a potential threat. We only utilize that now as a nutrient. Ideal, like I say. But if all of a sudden there's a breach in that barrier in your intestines and it's still microscopic, mind you, a leaky gut or otherwise known as intestinal permeability is still on the microscopic level. But let's just say it allows an amino acid sequence, a little mini protein fragment, if you will, into the bloodstream that is, let's say, 10 or 11 or 12 amino acids long. Now the immune cell can recognize that sequence and say, oh, I don't, I don't like the looks of that. I better remember it. And so it creates a memory of that sequence and it, and it creates antibodies to that, which can then be tested for in the blood and associated very carefully with things like a gluten protein, right? Oh yeah, that came from a gluten. We recognize that sequence. Okay, so that's sort of how the immune cells start this whole process. You know, how do I become gluten sensitive or how do I become green bean sensitive? It, it literally, I, I don't pick on green beans for any other purpose other than it's just a food people eat. The things you eat the most tend to become your poison over time which is one reason why gluten is such a problem is because it is so inherent in our diet throughout the world, really. Um, we spoke in the past episodes about why you, the United States is unique in, in its gluten problem. Um, it's not the gluten, it's the sprays. Oh, well, it's the sprays too, and it's the endotoxic molds like we discussed. Um, all of those things tend to get that barrier system in the gut inflamed, and that opens up these these tight junction proteins, it opens up the gap and the larger fragments enter the system. Right now the immune system says, uh oh, we know something isn't right here. Let's remember it. Okay, so once it does that, every time a person continues to eat that particular food, and like I mean like I said a second ago, it could be any food, but I will pick mostly on gluten in this case. Um, but any food, if you continue to eat it, you will continually launch inflammatory reactions locally in the gut. That's step one. You know, the gut itself will become more inflamed and more leaky, therefore allowing more and more things through, which can then start to spread into more and more food sensitivity reactions. It, it's kind of a humbling experience sometimes to do a, like let's say 120 food reactivity panel and just see what comes up. Sometimes it's soul crushing. <laughs> if there's too many, then it's a different discussion. You can't eliminate all those foods. Uh, I'll talk about that at another time as well. It's an interesting concept and one that's kind of not done correctly, in my opinion, with a lot of medical practitioners. Um, but if that happens, then, you know, eating becomes a nightmare. It becomes an inflammatory disaster. Every good food for you. I, I like green beans, so I'm going to pick on them. <laughs> you know, if, if that becomes your inflammatory trigger, well, you better take a break from that if you can. You know, provided there aren't too many foods all reacting at the same time. The, the idea is to kind of remove the offending food. In a case like a gluten sensitivity or, you know, especially if it's a full-blown celiac autoimmune case, you absolutely must remove that food from the diet. Absolutely, because you will... Have, nothing good will come of it if you don't. Um, all cause mortality. All cause. 
And mortality doesn't necessarily just mean um, death. <laughs> it just means you know, mortality and morbidity, right? Like diseases, suffering, all of that will happen if you continue to eat gluten with a known sensitivity. Sometimes it's just self-limiting. You eat gluten, you have a, you know, an inflammatory bowel disease that's so aggressive, let's, let's say like Crohn's disease, where you're starting to bleed out the rectum and you are in a major medical crisis. Absolutely must stop the eating the gluten in those cases. Um, but the, it's the more subtle ones that are difficult, right? Um, some more subtle cases that can smolder and go under the radar. You're not suffering from crippling stomach pains, perhaps. You're not bleeding out your rear end, you know, which would be a, an obvious emergency. Um, you know, maybe all it is for you is fatigue, a growing level of fatigue, but you're only 34. Shouldn't be fatigued, you know, or whatever, right? It could be headaches that you just sort of have lived with for a long time. And boy, they're just starting to get a little worse. I must be stressed. Right? These are things that can ruin the quality of life. Okay, so that's sort of the backstory. You know, that's sort of how it all gets kicked off. It, it is a chicken or the egg thing. You know, gluten is known to activate little molecules in our gut barrier called zonulin. Zonulin, think of it as like a key that opens the doorway to that gut barrier. You do not want to activate zonulin. You want to have a nice tight gut barrier so that you don't just start reacting willy-nilly to all these things that are going in your mouth. Right. But um, gluten, even in non-sensitive people, can have that impact, especially some of the more newer forms of gluten that I discussed already. Um, so who knows, honestly, how these things get started. But gluten reactivity, low grade, along with other stuff like, like poor blood sugar control and like, you know, maybe infections, maybe other autoimmunities elsewhere in the body. I mean high levels of stress, poor sleep, all of those impact the gut barrier. And there's way more than that. I just named a few. Um, so once that starts, you, you get this gluten protein, uh, this little snippet of protein um, from a piece of the gluten molecule. It's called gliadin. If you ever hear, hear the term gliadin, it is this basically the same as saying gluten. I like to think of gluten as this, like, um, it's kind of appropriate too, but I don't know if you ever, you know, grew up in the 80s or something and uh, your mom or your older sister, in my case, would make a monkey bread, I think it was called. And it was somehow, I don't know how, you kind of put all these little balls of dough together and shove them together. And they, when they bake, you can kind of pull off these little individual, little bready, delicious nuggets, right? It's not like a bread you slice. It's sort of like a bread you just dig into with your hands and it's sweet and delicious. Anyways. Um, that's sort of what a gluten molecule is like. It, it's actually all proteins are tend to, to be made up this way in some ways or another. The larger the protein, the more likely it's made up of lots of small sub proteins. And that's all that gliadin is. Gliadin is just one of them. So in a previous episode, I had you put your fist out and point to your first knuckle. That would be called alpha gliadin, let's just say. That would be an example, alpha gliadin. That's probably the most common part of the gluten molecule that is reactive, that, and that's probably the most common one that gets tested, if you are so lucky to even have gluten tested directly. Because more times than not, in a mainstream approach, they don't even look for gluten reactions, they look for celiac disease, which makes up a very small slice of the population. That's an attack against your gut tissue. But if they're looking for gluten reactions, they're looking for antibodies, basically little mirror image proteins that will fit perfectly on a certain shape 
They recognize that amino acid sequence I talked about. And the most common one is alpha-gliadin, so first knuckle. But you could have other gliadins. You could have delta-gliadin and omega-gliadin, for example. I mean, just, just start moving your finger to the other knuckles. There's just different binding sites. So when you, when you digest that protein and break it into pieces, you can have all these different reactions all over this massive, massive molecule. They all have their unique little amino acid sequences. So um, a very good, well-rounded test is going to look for as many of those opportunities as possible. All it takes is one, one reaction, and then you have your gluten sensitivity, right? Because even though it's now digested into small little bits, it, it was once part of a larger protein, <laughs> this large monkey bread looking thing. And, um, and any knuckle that you touch with that finger uh, metaphorically speaking, qualifies as a gluten sensitivity. Okay, so now, <laughs> long story short, because I keep uh, I keep bringing it back to some basics, you have to understand the fundamentals. But the the idea of this podcast is cross reaction. The heck is that? So mistaken identity. Your body has created an antibody reaction against these these little small parts of the gluten. And they should recognize nothing other than that protein in your from your diet. That is the idea of an antibody. It's very specific. It's the same concept if you catch a flu, let's say, and your your friend um, is with you one night, and then they catch your flu. You get them sick, and then you hang out again. And you're not just going to keep catching the same flu forever and ever because you now have antibodies that recognize a, a certain protein sequence on that flu virus so that you recognize it whammo next time and you just get that going, this major immune reaction and you're, you're fine, right? Um, it's the same with foods. So you have this thing that's very specific now, but guess what? It's not that specific. <laughs> Our immune systems are almost perfect. They, they are a marvel to behold our immune systems, almost perfect, but they're not. And, and that's what a cross-reaction is. So, for example, there are many now, many known cross-reactions with gluten-specific antibodies. So you eat the gluten, you get this antibody reaction, maybe you feel lousy, maybe you don't, maybe it's something you can tolerate, but meanwhile, if I were to magically just test your blood, you know, if we looked at 100 people in a, in a crowd and tested them for gluten antibodies, more people would be positive than, than they would even know themselves as having a reaction. So they, they're being exposed now to a gluten-specific antibody. And that antibody will start looking for a certain shape. There are very common reactions, for example, in the thyroid. So there's a protein sequence in the thyroid that looks a lot like a gluten sequence. And so eat gluten, the antibody will find its way to the thyroid gland and start attacking the thyroid gland. An antibody basically, it isn't, doesn't do the attacking itself. It's kind of, it, it attaches on to the, the target protein and it's almost like it waves big red flags at the immune system and says, hey, you guys, hey, hey, killer cells, come over here and kill this sucker. I got, I found it for you, right? And in the case of a virus, it also kind of stops it from, you know, doing its processes, it kind of gums it up a little bit. But when it comes to a self-tissue, an auto-antibody reaction, basically an autoimmune reaction, 
that's what happens. The antibody recognizes it as a shape on, in this case, the thyroid. Uh, a very common one is actually thyroid peroxidase, TPO. TPO is, a, is basically a little enzyme in the thyroid tissue that helps um, create thyroid hormones. So if, if you're starting to attack your thyroid and you're starting to create antibodies against gluten that are recognizing that, the immune system will, will start to recognize the thyroid tissue itself over time doesn't always happen, but this can be the opening of the door to autoimmunity. Up until that point, it wasn't true autoimmunity. It was just sort of this, think of it as like a pseudo autoimmune experience due to a food reaction, right? You are attacking yourself. The, the, the immune system does end up attacking that gland as a result of the food exposure and the food immune reaction, but you haven't yet perhaps created specific antibodies that are specific to TPO but that comes later usually. Um, you know, in autoimmunity, which is also something I will continue to speak about, um, there's a series of events that happens. The first thing is that we lose tolerance to the outside world. Our, and by that, I mean our immune system starts to become more reactive. It doesn't tolerate gluten anymore. It says, oh, what's that? I don't like it. I'm creating a reaction. I'm fighting it. We are at war. Let's inflame. Let's be ill because of it, right? Um, so we lose our tolerance to things like food. We lose our tolerance to things like chemicals in our environment, perhaps allergies in our environment. Um, you know, there's people that walk into the perfume aisle at like Nordstrom and like they end up with a migraine. You know, that's not uncommon for people to completely make a wide berth around that scented candle stand over at the mall or something, right? Um, or can't tolerate fingernail polish. So... That's very common. If that's starting to happen, they've lost tolerance now. Their immune system is involved just from walking around. The very next step is loss of self-tolerance. And that quite literally means I'm not tolerating certain tissues in my body. I think that they're foreign. I don't know the difference between self and non-self. So if you want to open that door, then you continue to eat foods and you continue to expose yourself to environmental toxins perhaps. Um, you know, just putting yourself under different forms of stress loads. Um, that will open the door to true autoimmunity over time. You do that with uh, low vitamin D, perhaps, and low amino, uh, pardon me, essential fatty acid status, like your, your EPA and DHA levels, your omega-3s, fish oils, if you will, are low. Most of them are in this country, as well as this crushing low vitamin D epidemic that we're experiencing. Um, yeah, those are just all opening the door farther and farther for autoimmunity. So, you know, the concept here is that you eat gluten and you attack thyroid perhaps, right? Now, if you already have a known Hashimoto's thyroiditis or Hashimoto's hypothyroid, that's autoimmune thyroid. That's the most common autoimmunity. And it's the most common reason for somebody to have, whether they know it or not, whether their, diagnos their diagnosis has, has been made or not by their MDs, the literature is clear that it is the leading cause of hypothyroid, autoimmune. It's just smoldering low grade, and it just sort of keeps the thyroid muted. So they go on thyroid hormone replacement, and, uh, and that part is settled. But what they haven't done yet is work with the autoimmune part, right? And the autoimmune part means, okay, great, we found it in your thyroid, but where else is it, right? Where else? 
What are other cross-reactions with the thyroid now? So this is, this is where I'm going to move away from gluten just a little bit. And guess what? TPO antibodies. If somebody has Hashimoto's thyroid and they have positive antibodies to TPO, and that TPO antibody should recognize nothing other than TPO enzyme in the thyroid. Well, guess what? It recognizes more than that by accident. In fact, it recognizes areas of the brain called the cerebellum. The cerebellum is that little thing underneath the brain. If you can picture a brain, it's got that large part on top. And then if you look near the back on the bottom, you'll see uh, you know, the cerebellar structures. And that has a lot to do with our ability to have balance and coordinated movement. Um, it also has a lot, certain areas of the cerebellum have to do with the gating of external stimulus, the, the sounds that come in, the, the lights that come into our, our eyes. Uh, if we didn't have the ability to kind of dampen that to some degree, we would probably explode. A big part of our brain function is, is forgetting things and dampening inputs and, and calming systems down so that we don't overload. So if you have a TPO antibody because of an autoimmune thyroid, that antibody can find its way into the cerebellum, particularly in the midline area, which is where that gating mechanism is and where our, our core stability is in our spinal muscles, our intrinsic spinal muscles. Um, you can start attacking your brain. Over time, that can lead to full-blown cerebellar autoimmunity. You could run blood and find cerebellar antibodies, but you don't have to. All you might need is TPO antibodies, thyroid antibodies. The next thing you know, you're killing part of your brain. How does that present? Well, I can do a drunk test on you, perhaps, right? Stone cold sober, 1030 in the morning, right? I can have you put your feet, you know, in line, heel to toe, have you close your eyes and see if you can stand up straight. Do it on your own. See how it works. Have somebody behind you to spot you just in case, because with your eyeballs open and viewing the world, you tend to have stability. You take away the visual input and you show your lesion, you show your weakness. And anybody with TPO antibodies should really have a neurological evaluation because there's a known cross-reaction with that tissue. Now, how do I want to tie it all together? Guess what? Gluten antibodies attack not only TPO, but also cerebellar. They all look alike. When you cut them down into small enough fragments, they all look alike. They look alike enough for our near-perfect immune system. How about that? So eat gluten, possibly kill thyroid, and possibly kill cerebellar tissue. Right? You don't want your cerebellum going. <laughs> Take my word for it. That's a, it can be a nasty situation. Um, when I said earlier about you know, if you continue to eat gluten with a known sensitivity to gluten, all cause morbidity and mortality go up. That even qualifies as car accidents and falling off ladders and tripping off of curbs, right? Because if you don't have good cerebellar function, you might not know exactly where you are in space and what muscle to, to move what leg, which direction at the right time, right? I have some personally. I have found some minor cerebellar concerns. Um, I've had a series of head injuries myself, but I also have a, a pretty nasty known gluten reaction. And so I spent a good chunk of my life eating gluten without knowing that I was hurting myself. 
And so now I tend to have increased motion illness. You know, like I love to kayak. I love to ocean kayak. I have one, but I have found that I can tolerate about 40 to 45 minutes of ocean kayaking. Um, the motion of the ocean, so to speak, and the negotiation of that, that rather unstable kayak underneath my hips creates a challenge for my, um, my cerebellar and vestibular systems in my brain, which overtaxes them because they are weak. They are weak. I have damaged my brain because, at least that part, <laughs> I, I, th I think and I believe that the, um, the cognitive part is still pretty sharp, but the part that controls my intrinsic spinal muscles and my ability to keep myself stable in, in unstable situations is compromised. Gluten most likely did that, right? Cross reaction. No one knows about this stuff. And certainly no one knew about that much clinically, especially 15, 20 years ago when all the damage was being done. So it's not very simple, folks. I mean, it, once you start to see the larger picture, you can simplify the concepts and the mechanisms. But, you know, you go in for fatigue, right? And this is the beauty of a functional medicine approach. You go in to, for fatigue and, you know, an astute clinician will be able to figure out, uh oh, you might have an autoimmune thyroid. You know, maybe that's the reason. It's subtle. It's not bad enough yet for it to be full blown. You know, you we're seeing antibodies. But boy, you're not destroying your thyroid gland enough yet to require a, a doctor's intervention for hormone replacement therapy. That's good. It's a good place to be. You don't want to be into that place where you require replacement hormones now. That means the thyroid gland has been destroyed to some degree. But just remember, we can't disregard the notion that there's TPO antibodies floating around your bloodstream and you're starting to experience fatigue, right, if nothing else any of the other low thyroid and or high thyroid, Hashimoto's is a combo of high and low, um, any of those types of things are very clinically relevant, even if they're not so severe that it's ruining your life yet. But guess what's happening? You could be reacting to gluten as a consequence, or probably it was the other way around. There could be a lurking gluten sensitivity that no one has looked for or no one has found because your stomach isn't hurting and you're not bleeding out your rear end to be dramatic. Uh, but that's most of us, right? Most of us are not bleeding out of rear ends. Um, but also you could be attacking places like your cerebellum, all right? So, you, you know, fatigue, sure, awesome. Let's get started, shall we? Let's dig in. What do we know is associated with that? What can I point to in the medical literature that, that supports this notion that, hey, you have a TPO antibody, I'm concerned about your brain, right? This is a little bit more functional neurology, but let's just say there is that, that cerebellar implication. You're, you're attacking the cerebellar tissue, either from gluten or TPO or both, or you are attacking it directly now because you have cerebellar autoimmunity. If you're not gating stimulus from the outside world, now you watch a flashy movie. Um, I took my daughter recently to go see The Cure, which was an awesome concert. I haven't seen them for, since the 80s <laughs> dating myself um but you know i walked away from that pretty rad concert fatigued you know three hours or something at a concert but i was exposed to loud noises and flashing lights and people in crowds in, in my visual field and there was a lot going on um and i crashed as a result from that i went home and i needed to lay down <laughs> um so by doing that you are activating 
stress physiology, which ends up harming the, the gastrointestinal tract. Stress hormones, stress, stress nervous system responses, shunt blood away from the internal organs, away from the digestive tract, and that makes the whole thing worse. A concert's an isolated event, no problem. We, we, we bounce back. But if you're doing something all the time, you know, you're just, you always like to do certain things that are just hammering your nervous system and you can't gate that because of the cerebellar thing, then you will make the gut thing worse, which will make the autoimmune thing worse, which makes the neurology worse, which makes the gut worse, which makes the autoimmune thing worse, make the food sensitivity worse, right? There's this vicious cycle of feed forward cycle that, that must be stopped. There's no wonder why most cases fail. And people go from one doctor to the next doctor to the next doctor because no one can put them all together, unfortunately. There's a growing population of, of practitioners that are, are able to work this way, and I'm very happy to see it. We have some amazing researchers and amazing teachers out there um, that are, are so valuable to humanity. Uh, I can't say enough about my... My teacher, who I've just studied under for, you know, since my whole practice began <laughs> in the early 2000s, Dr. Baptiste Karazian, um, fantastic person who has really illuminated the, what the literature has to say and, and sees through a lot of the, I don't know, the nonsense. I guess that's the best way to say it. Okay, so in closing, in closing, I want to list just a few more. I picked two cross-reactions that happen in our body, but I want to also say that gluten and dairy proteins casein specifically has fragments it looks just like gluten so within the foods you can have cross reaction a lot of people that are gluten sensitive are also dairy sensitive that's a tough one to swallow for a lot of people there's a lot of emotions around dairy <laughs> as there is with gluten uh, but a lot of times they come hand in hand and i can also say that the gluten-free grains because they are in the same family they're in the same grass family as wheat and barley and rye, which are the classic gluten-containing grains. All of the gluten-free grains, millet, sorghum, you know, all that, even rice, they have at least a fraction of the proteins that are involved in the larger molecule we call gluten. So there's cross-reaction within foods. All the grains, gluten-free or not, are, are suspect. And dairy is suspect, for sure. Very, very close relative. But when it comes to the other tissues in the body, there are known cross-reactions with gliadin, remember that little piece of gluten, um, in the adrenal glands, in the liver, in the heart, in the bone, in the ovary, in the thyroid and cerebellum, we talked about that. There's something called nuclear autoantigen, which is the nucleus of all cells. So you might find that in things like lupus or Sjogren's disease or mixed connective tissue disease, some of these systemic autoimmunities. Um, there is one um, reaction that's a very, very important one to know called glutamic acid decarboxylase, GAD, GAD for short. It is found in two places primarily, one in the pancreas. It helps with the whole production of insulin, you know. Um, if you are attacking GAD in your pancreas, that is a precursor finding to type 1 autoimmune or otherwise known as kind of classically juvenile onset type 1 diabetes. But it's also found in, drumroll, the cerebellum. It is one of the primary factors that helps gate that, that external stimulation. GAD is an enzyme that converts glutamate 
You might know that from monosodium glutamate, MSG, but glutamate is excitatory to our brain. It's a very important neurotransmitter to keep us alert and activate you know, nerves, but too much kills the nerve. It can be neurotoxic, if you will. So glutamic acid decarboxylase, GAD, converts glutamate excitatory into GABA, a calming neurotransmitter. So you don't want to have that attack because you'll get stuck in excitation. The most common symptom of that, anxiety. Or worse than anxiety is frank panic attacks. How common is that? How many people do you know, including yourself possibly, that experiences anxiety? Yeah, the world is going to shit in some ways, pardon my French, but there's times where you're just sitting there minding your own business and all of a sudden you get a panic attack. That's not normal. That's not, that's, that's clinically relevant stuff. Um, if you're ever on medication for your anxiety, boy, look into it. Who else will? You might have an autoimmunity or a pseudo-autoimmunity secondary to gluten cross-reaction to GAD, and you could be at peril for your pancreas. I will share another bit of personal information. I am positive to GAD myself, right? Because I have a gluten issue. I therefore probably launched a GAD issue at some point. Uh, I tend to react in an anxiety way if I get a gluten exposure. I feel uncomfortable. I never get to the medication stage, luckily, but I feel uncomfortable for a period of time. My sister, who is now passed, uh, had type 1 diabetes. So, she was never tested, but guess who else had GAD antibodies? I'm sure my sister did. Um, very interesting correlations, right? Um, and then, aside from the cerebellum, I just wanted to kind of finish up, there are also a handful of other known neurological antibodies. There's one that's most commonly known, myelin basic protein. That's what's classically associated with multiple sclerosis, MS. I have a cousin with MS. Not me personally. Um, synapsin, which is a protein found in the synapse of all nerves, where they, the synapse is where they connect to each other and talk through neurotransmitters. So a person that's reacting to synapsin might not have a good neurotransmitter experience. That could look like depression. That could look like anxiety, for example. How common is that? Um, there's one called Asia loganglioside. It's a mouthful, but it's just another protein in the, um, in the neurons. So... If you really look at the literature, gluten reactions account for approximately 70%, roughly 70%, 70, um, it's, it's neurological. So of all the reactions that gluten produces, 70-ish percent is, is likely a neurological reaction, not a gut reaction. Some of that is a skin reaction, very common to attack things in the skin. So you get things like eczema, psoriasis, you know, dermatitis, even acne, just any kind of thing that just is chronic and requires steroid creams and whatnot. Boy, look into the gluten thing. It, it could easily be that. Um, and then, of course, the gut. But, but the gut is by no means the, the leading area of, of attack. It's just a common one. Uh, it's the one that was found first, so therefore it's the most well-known, and the gastroenterologists tend to own that one, unfortunately. Which is why when you get tested in the mainstream, you're tested for celiac. It's just because, oh, yeah, everybody knows that gluten and celiac go together. But, boy, it, it's it's the neurons. It's the brain. It doesn't have to be the just the brain. It could be the peripheral nerves. Um, nasty stuff. Nasty stuff. It could just be something you're eating. Okay, so that is... 
the backstory of, of the gut reactions and how gluten is involved and how it gets through and how the immune system recognizes not foods but but fragments of proteins that make up the larger structure in this case we call gluten um, and those little fragments of, of proteins um, look like other foods possibly dairy possibly things in the gluten-free grains so if you eat those foods even though you're on a gluten-free diet you could still have a similar reaction to gluten and keep that ball rolling um, which is an unfortunate thing to do when you're putting in all that energy to eat gluten-free. Um, but it goes way more in depth than that. Where now we have potential cross-reactions with gluten um, and dairy to our own self-tissues. I just named them all. Thyroid is one of the most common ones that we, we ever see. So if you have a thyroid autoimmunity, absolutely do not touch gluten again. Just say goodbye forever because you don't want that launching into other areas and you don't want to destroy your thyroid if at all possible. So, um, cross reaction. What a what a concept. What a concept. I hope you found that very helpful. Um, you know, there are wonderful tests for all of these types of foods, blood tests, looking for antibodies against these little protein sequences. Uh, it could be the difference between a positive outcome and a non-positive outcome. Happens all the time. I went gluten-free, I felt no different. Oh, you ate all the gluten-free grains and dairy. <laughs> you didn't get tested for them, see, so how would you know? But, but that's why. And uh, if you start looking into autoimmunity, that just gets bigger and bigger. So interesting case. I, I hope it was interesting for you. And uh, I look forward to continuing this talk. Thank you so much for your time and attention. This is a functional approach with Dr. Jim Chalpis. Take care and bye-bye.